You are listening to the F11 Photography Podcast. To the chasers of light, to the purveyors of pictures, to all of you listening around the world, we welcome you to the F11 Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Deal, and joining me, your co-host, the distinguished Brandon Gorey. Hey, how we doing? I haven't been introduced like that since I was in first grade, so it feels good to be back to my roots with such an introduction. Thank you, Kevin. <laughs> no, no problem. No problem at all. So uh, thank you. Thank you to all of you who are listening. And uh, I'm sure you're wondering, you just stumbled upon this podcast. What is this podcast all about? What are we doing? So uh, because you need to fall in love first with the hosts before you can actually fall in love with a podcast. Uh, today is going to be a little bit about us. We're going to introduce you to who we are, uh, our backgrounds. We're going to interview each other. Uh, and then that way you can uh, understand our personalities a little bit more, which will uh, hopefully keep you listening. So the first, yeah. yeah, hopefully. And, and so the first thing uh, you probably want to know is how did this all start? And like all, uh, like all great ideas, hopefully this is a great idea. It started over pints of beer. Uh, we were sitting there at the draft house. And by the way, we, we broadcast from Austin, Texas. So we we're at the draft house, which is a really cool pub here in Austin. And uh, we had been mutual admirers of each other's work, but never actually met. And, one thing led to another, and uh, no, we didn't go home with each other. We uh, we ended up uh, instead. It was close, but <laughs> instead we 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 ended up uh, we ended up talking about things that we had in common. And the next thing we knew, we were uh, doing a collaborative YouTube project together because we both have our own YouTube episodes. I have Kevin Deal Photography, and he has Brandon Gorey Photography. So, uh, is that is that an accurate? Uh, accurate portrayal of how it all went down you know it's pretty good you know we had a we had a lot of thoughts we've been messaging each other on instagram for a while and when we came together you know we really had time to drink about it so uh drink about it we did uh what was it three or four pints deep and then yeah here we are not five weeks later putting it together yeah, yeah, this came together in record time. Uh, we uh, And if you're wondering, our collaborative episode was on the Holga 120N camera, and you can check out those uh, those videos on our YouTube channels. We'll probably do a follow-up debriefing on that in one of our podcasts, because I think I think we could talk about that for a little bit. So It was an experience. It was a hallowing experience. You know, it really pushed the limits. Um, I think a lot of people could learn from shooting the Holga 120N uh, would I shoot it again personally? Uh, no, <clears throat> but definitely worth talking about. hundred percent. So, uh, but yeah, so that's what we're going to do. And so what this podcast is going to be about, it's our unfiltered opinions about photography, videography, uh, not just equipment, but our approach to process, um, 
you know, what we consider art. We're going to talk about art. We're going to talk about process. We're going to talk about gear. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of things out there that I think interest people. Uh, and then maybe some podcasts don't really touch up on that a lot. Um, people are more into like the self-promotion, you know, they're ambassadors for a certain thing or whatever. And so uh, right now we have no sponsors, you know, that may change one day, but right now it's just really raw. We're just going to talk about uh, whatever it is we want to talk about and uh, not necessarily topical stuff either because a lot of times it's like, oh, let's talk about gossip because so-and-so company came out with this thing and we're going to talk about why they're terrible or whatever. I don't really think we're going to go into that. I think we're going to go into more hopefully depth on on, on subjects that are um, you know fascinating to photographers out there who are trying to grow. So would you say that that's... I'd say it's pretty accurate. You know, there's a lot of periphery when it comes to photographies these days. Um, as photography's blown up, specifically on social media, as a way to progress both as an artist or a businessman, you know, there's a lot that we could get into that we could explore. There's a lot of tangentials that we could get into, but I think we're trying to keep it to the core of what photography is, chasing the light, chasing the shutters, getting the shots we want, and progressing not only as photographers, but as people who like to view the world uh, frame by frame. Yeah, like I think uh, one of the things I always uh, ask people is why are you doing this? Why do you shoot? You know, if you really think about why you're making this, is it uh, is it for likes and whatever? Or do you actually like want to be known for doing something uh, significant years from now? And so there's a lot that goes with that. Uh, and I think photography, and I think we can also talk about videography on this show, uh, cause we both are hybrid shooters. We both are stills photographers, but we also have our own YouTube channels and we, uh, we do videography as well. And I think we can also talk about uh, something that's a weakness of a lot of you out there who are more visual and that's audio. I have an audio background, so we could do episodes based off audio. And so there's just a lot of really cool, fascinating topics. And so uh, we hope that you'll tune in with us and grow with us, and we thank you. You are listening to the F11 Photography Podcast. All right, so as I said, we're going to do interviews. I want to get you familiar with both of your hosts, uh, me and Brandon. So I'm going to start first, and I'm going to interview Brandon. And my first question to you, Brandon, is let's talk about you. What's your story? How'd you get into photography? Do the very, I want you to sum up your life story in like three sentences or less. I'm just kidding. You know, it's, it's funny. We joke about that, but I have given that elevator pitch before. Uh, it was in Las Vegas and I, I might've had one too many to drink, but that being said, I, I didn't start out as a photographer. I actually had kind of a similar, um, starting out as you, Kevin, is I was trying to become a DJ out of high school, you know? Um, so 17, 18, I spent a lot of my time on weekends uh, down at the clubs in Austin, Texas, obviously like underaged, uh, making nice with the bartenders and bouncers. And I was, I was trying to get um, opening slots at different places in Austin. I was trying to get different gigs and venues as, as a DJ. And uh, after a while, uh, it, it became so taxing staying up till, you know, four or 5 a.m., keeping up with that world that it, it, it became disenchanting. And so I thought, okay, why don't I just take photos of it instead? And so 
Uh, it started when my parents got me this cool little Sony A5000 for my birthday. It had an on-camera flash attached to it, and that let me take nightlife photos. One thing led to another, um, and I started taking self-portraits around Austin, Texas, late at night before it got real busy. This was back when the streets were actually dead and quiet after 1 a.m. in Austin, Texas. And, you know, I'd take self-portraits, I'd get dressed up in a garb, and I go to different uh, construction sites in Austin and take long exposure self-portraits with flash um, in different outfits because I thought that was a lot of fun. And after a while doing that, uh, I finally, you know, I finally thought, okay, let's, let's try the modeling thing. And so uh, I started getting in touch with local Instagram models, you know, just playing the Instagram game, checking out names, checking out faces on Instagram. It's, you know, I think everyone kind of knows how that goes. And so... From there, it just, it became a journey of what do I want to do versus what do I think I, I can accomplish versus kind of putting it together in real time. And those three things were never congruent, um, but it's, it's like asymptotal. They've been reaching each other ever since. I don't think they're quite there yet. I don't think they ever will be, but putting those three ideas together in, in chasing the art of photography is is what led me and has led me to where I am today. Well, looking at your portfolio, you do fantastic work. And I also see that you do a lot of work with film. What when when specifically did you discover that you wanted to shoot film? That's a good question. Um, <clears throat> so I was brought up in a household where uh, my dad had, he had, he had a lot of screenplays growing up. He was a big movie guy. And I remember, you know, he would show me Blade Runner on VHS at six and seven years old, you know, Harrison Ford. And, you know, that's what we'd watch on the couch on Friday nights. And I didn't really like revisit that part of my past until film came to the equation. And then it just kind of dug up this like, oh yeah, this is all like, this is familiar to me. The way that lights like rendered onto these things, like that's what I grew up with. And so it was five years ago, five, six years ago, my buddy introduced me to film as another way to shoot photography. Of, of course, he, he didn't do it as like, you know, this is what you can shoot your models on, bro. He just like, he was just like, dude, like, let's go grab some pints and shoot some film. He's an Australian, of course. And so he let me borrow his Olympus XA2 to shoot some photos. He lended me a roll of Portrait 400 back when it wasn't, you know, outrageously expensive, as well as Cine Still. 800T, which is another fine choice. And as soon as I got those photos back, you know, terrible photos of cars passing by, of like, of drinks, of coffee, and of just random shenanigans, getting those photos back, they, they held such, such a more potent weight, like a, like a higher value of photography inherently. And it's, it's not something that's, that's very tangible, even though it's a tangible format, but just seeing those photos the way they are, the way they capture light, and the way that they reflect what you want the image to be, that impacted me in a way where I was just like, okay, there's a lot, there's a high chance of error in shooting this film. And I want to see if I can bring it to a place where I can start shooting it and making work that I, I want out of it. And that was kind of the first thing um, that led me to shooting film. And, and here we are today. That's awesome. So first of all, I want to say, <laughs> Um, my controversial opinion is that Deckard from Blade Runner was a way cooler, um, way cooler hero than Han Solo in Star Wars. 
I'm going for that. That's my controversial opinion, but I'm right. You are right. Um, you know, Harrison Ford was born to play stoic characters, and I think he was playing an archetype of himself when he played Han Solo because Spielberg, they, he wrote Harrison Ford to be Harrison Ford, and Harrison Ford played Harrison Ford, but he wasn't playing himself. He wasn't being himself. You know what I mean? He kind of like he strong-handed his personality in that role. I think it was a much more subtle approach in Blade Runner. Blade Runner was the first time, and I didn't even know what I was becoming aware of, but it was the first time I became aware of an anamorphic lens because that whole movie was shot anamorphic. And when I was a young kid, uh, I was actually alive when it came out. It was I didn't see it when it came out. I was a little too young for that. But uh, when I saw it, like that was one of the very first movies where I was like, oh, cinematography is a thing. Like that is just... You you brought it up, so I had to I had to I had to bring up the Han Solo point and the anamorphic point because we we share a love for that movie for sure. Um, and on the topic of film, I'll have you ask me some questions about film. But uh, my I was I was a little different than you in that uh, that was just all there was. That's how old I am. So there right. was, there was no additional one. I started. I was like I was like hey, you want to go shoot? Okay, what kind of film do you want? <laughs> Right. Yeah. So, but it's good. I love seeing, um, because I'm, for for all of you who don't know, I'm uh, quite a bit older than Brandon. And um, I like the fact that I see the younger generation uh, going back to film because I'm not here to debate whether film or digital is better, but I will argue with you until I'm blue in the face that they're different. They are absolutely different. The way they render, the way you look at them, et cetera. And we'll do a whole episode on that, but definitely wanted to touch up on that. Um, looking at your work, I see a lot of um, Eastern Bloc influence, uh, Eastern Bloc Cold War influence. And uh, what sparked your fascination uh, with that Eastern European uh, aesthetic? Oh, geez, man, that's a... That well runs deep. So um, I get asked that quite a lot, especially by Eastern European um, uh, immigrants as well as like second generation Eastern Europeans in Austin, Texas, as well as, you know, wherever I'm shooting. And they ask like, you know, are you are you Russian? Are you Ukrainian? And the fact of the matter is, no, I'm, I'm a dual citizen British. But where that came from is I, I was it was my 17th birthday and or it might have been my 16th. And my dad decides to get me. <laughs> A lot of, a lot of, lot of stories coming from my dad here, but my dad decides to get me um, Dostoevsky's *Crime and Punishment*, and I read that book uh, front to back a couple times over the years, uh, and I decided that it just that that style of storytelling, that morose uh, poeticism that Dostoevsky is able to accomplish, uh, it attracted me to a degree in Eastern European studies as well as Russian studies. And there, that's where I found that's where I found the art. I took classes in Soviet cinema. I took classes in, in Russian literature. I got to understand, you know, the suprematism and non-objectivist movement of Malievich and, you know, constructivism by Alexander Rodchenko and all that. And and looking looking at that, you know, fast forward, studying that ter- time period, I get to look at Tarkovsky. I'm like, okay. So while we've got Stanley Kubrick, you know, swinging a heavy bat over here, Russia's over there doing the same thing, if not better, in my personal opinion. Because Kubrick and, and Tarkovsky are, are very similar directors in that they, they take their time, they take their space, and they let silence speak, sometimes louder than words. And so following, following all that, I, I admired 
that influence, and I I saw it as potent, powerful, and a meaningful way to convey um, the way that I see the world, and so that's why I ventured that way in my photography. It's interesting you bring that up, that uh, there was simultaneously a movement going on in one part of the world that maybe the other part of the world wasn't aware of, because you're probably not old enough to remember this, but I'm old enough to remember this because I saw the Berlin Wall fall, and uh, I, I knew what was I knew what it meant when it when it fell. So I'm that old. And what's interesting is the during the Cold War, there was kind of a hey, we invented the light bulb in the U.S. and simultaneously the Russians, the Soviets at the time, were saying, well, no, we invented the light bulb. So it was like there were these alternate histories going on and of course as you get older you go well who did invent the light bulb i mean you know like they're both saying the same thing and so it's just interesting because we are in the western world celebrating the likes of kubrick who did who made good stuff uh, but then there's also this stuff going on in parts of the world that we're not even aware of that could be equally as good if not better and a lot of times we don't discover it until many years later because the government's you know, keep us from seeing something good of it. Cause it was the same way. I mean, we had really great things going on in the Western world that the, uh, that the Soviet union didn't want their people to see. And that's why it was such a huge deal when like Metallica played, I think it was in Moscow in like 1990, like right after the Berlin wall fell. And I, I shit you not like a million people showed up to see Metallica play because they heard about this legendary band. Now, whether or not you're into Metallica or not, I don't, it doesn't really matter. It was the moment that mattered. And I just remember seeing that on TV. I was like, oh my gosh, like this is what happens when people are isolated from each other, when the world's isolated from each other and they discover, you know, that it's the, it's that hunger that people have. They're like, no, I, I, I want to go out and seek like really cool stuff. And these governments are just getting in the way of me doing so. And so it's just kind of a fascinating uh, topic for sure. Um, Let's shift it back to photography. Uh, I'm going to go into just some some fun questions here. Name a genre of portrait photography that you don't like, but you'll do it for the money. Oh, man. Uh, You know, I find it hard to deal with smiles. You know, anything I... I don't know what to do with a smile. I don't know what to do with with uh, lofty, airy joy in a photo. It, to me, that just screams marketing. And uh, I'll do it for the money, and I have done it for the money. And it's it's actually amazing because usually those smiley shots, especially if I'm trying to help build a portfolio for a for an agency model is we'll shoot something super just, you know, super stoic, super morose, super like even sci-fi sometimes. And then at the end, like the last half an hour, 45 minutes, they'll be like, hey, by the way, can we get some, can we get some smiling shots? And I'll go, yeah, yeah, no, that's totally fine. And then they'll open their gym, like a a whole other duffel bag full of like just, you know, nice summer spring clothes. (laughs) I'm always just like, here we go. (laughs) Summer dress time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's uh I'll, I'll do that one for sure. Now, what's a genre of portrait photography that you will absolutely say no to no matter what? Because I, I bring this up for, to the listener because Brandon mainly shoots portraits. Now, he does shoot kind of street and other stuff like that, but his primary discipline is portraiture. And so that's why I'm asking him specifically within his own genre because it's, it's too easy to say, well, I won't shoot landscapes if you don't actually shoot landscapes. So I'm right. trying to keep it within your, your primary genre. So what... What genre of portraiture, if I approach you and say, hey, will you shoot this? You'll just say, hell no. 
Uh, that's a really good question. Um, something that will always uh, kind of turn me away, no matter what, is when someone asks me to shoot uh, fantasy style. Like, like so when someone will ask me to shoot themselves, like, how do I put this? I'm not going to shoot a woman wearing fake ears in a forest. I won't shoot elfy, you know, elfy stuff in the forest. I, I can't stand that. I feel like that's uh, that's something that creepy dudes shoot because they've got their own sort of like stuff going on. And as well as that, I I can't do the uh, like leopard print sexy pool shoot, you know, where it's hyper glam. It's it's hard to it's hard to do that for me. That makes sense. Uh, for me, uh, I'm just, you're probably not going to ask me that question anyway. So for me. <laughs> Um, I don't like to shoot, uh, milk baths with flowers. That's, that's a, that's a hard no. And then another hard no, and I've actually had models who I respect greatly ask me to do this. And I absolutely will not do it is shooting in cemeteries. Uh, and it's not because it's a disrespectful thing or anything like that, which you could argue it is. It's just, I look at uh, shooting a model in a cemetery and I look at what I feel like I'm capable of and not capable of and what I can invest my heart into and not invest my heart into. I just can't picture myself adding anything to a shoot in a cemetery. Like, I don't see how my style would apply to it. And I go, I'm proud of that. And so I'm just like respectfully like, I'm sorry, I won't do that. Sorry. <laughs> I was going to say there's plenty of Cure music videos that reference the, uh, the cemetery. And it's, I think it's already been done in the 80s. Exactly, exactly. I've seen Beetlejuice. I lived Beetlejuice. I was old enough. So, uh, okay, I'm going to ask you one more question, and then we'll we'll go into the... Okay, are you still fluent in Russian? Uh, I can get by. Can you, in Russian, say, this is Brandon Gorey, and you're listening to the F11 podcast, in Russian? Да, я Брэндон Гори, а вы слушаете подкаст, да, как это называется, этот подкаст? Awesome. I'm going to take your word for the, for, I'm going to take your word that you got that right. Cause I have no idea. I don't speak any Russian. Right on. All right. So that was uh, Brandon who was nice enough to uh, answer my questions. Uh, and we're going to turn the tables here in just a second. You are listening to the F11 photography podcast. Okay, so now Brandon is going to interview me. Take it away, Brandon. All right, Kevin, it's your turn on the stake. Let's do it, baby. So first and foremost, I have to ask you, um, because it is the ultimate preliminary question, given the fact that you have a background, an extensive background in DJ and, and audio technology, what got you into photography in the first place? Great question. So I, uh, I used to play in punk rock bands in high school, and then I decided to switch over to electronic music back in college. This is right around the turn of the millennium. Uh, so I went to school uh, 99 through 2004 because I was on the five-year plan because uh, I had a little bit of fun. But basically, while I was there, I also minored in photography. And, you know, there's a lot of similarities between sound and and light. Uh, well, one exists in a vacuum and one cannot. But you're still dealing with frequencies. Um, you know, you think about things like uh, color and the sound spectrum and visuals. As a matter of fact, I teach classes on audio 
where I uh, use the electromagnetic spectrum to help people understand sound better because they can't see it. So anyway, there was a whole intertwining uh, of my life, and I was mixing records and all that, and I was also doing photography. And I stayed on the sound route for a really long time. I got into designing like football stadiums and stuff like that and big sound systems and all that. And um, the whole time, I'm still shooting photography, and I'm traveling around, and I'm taking pictures. So I have a formal education in photography. It's what I minored in in college, but it was a lifelong journey, and I kept doing it. And But the thing about the music world, you know, I have a wife and two kids, and everybody I know who really sticks it out in the music world um, who aren't millionaires are either divorced, dead, have very uh, bad, like, mental health issues, physical health issues, because as you mentioned earlier, staying out until four or five in the morning is not, it, it, and, and then of course there's the writing music part of it too. So like I have to take myself into a very selfish place in order to write music. And I'm talking about like 2 PM to 5 AM type of thing where I just lock myself in a room until I push out a song. And you can't do that when you have your five-year-old walking up to you and go, I want a quesadilla, <laughs> you know? And so it's like, okay, this isn't going to work. And the, so I've always had the photography thing with me. And I briefly did try the photography thing after college. And I got so discouraged because it was the early days of digital and digital cameras kind of weren't great at that point in time. And my first job out of college was I did a senior portraits and I did like event photography for high schools. And it just was, it made me want to quit photography in like two seconds. So like I, I briefly tried to get into the professional photography world and I just didn't have the right vehicle for it. So I, I kept the cameras and I kept doing it kind of for fun uh, and kept teaching myself. But this is all pre-YouTube. And so back then people didn't want to teach you their secrets. They'd be like, oh, you're going to, your stuff's going to look like my stuff or whatever. You're going to steal all my clients, which that's an episode unto itself as to why that's BS. And we'll, we'll get into that on a different episode. But uh, so anyway, I stayed into the, the, I stayed with the sound thing, but eventually I couldn't do it anymore. And, and so I was like, okay, well, I came back came back around to photography. And the nice thing about photography is I feel like I can split it up more. So if I have a, a shoot where I'm meeting somebody and I'm doing a, a location shoot, I can go shoot them for a few hours and then I can get home, go do what I need to go do. And then when it's time to edit, I can edit at 10 PM or 11 PM and I'm not bothering anybody. But if I'm trying to record a vocal take in my house, when there's people there at 11 o'clock, first of all, I'm self-conscious because I'm like looking around, like how can I get into this really artistic space where I'm trying to express myself as a singer when my kids are in the next room and they can hear every single word that's coming out of my mouth. And so uh, you can sit down at a laptop or an iMac or whatever and edit photos. You just need a properly calibrated monitor and you can edit it and you're good to go. And so it's just, it's where I'm at in life right now. Uh, photography has been with me the whole journey, but it just, if I had a, like a pie chart, it would have been a very small part of the pie chart. Now it's a huge part of the pie chart and it's just more compatible with my life. So that's where I'm at. Yeah, that's that reminds me of growing up. We had an older gentleman who was a family friend growing up in Southern California and he was a football coach at, I believe it was a football coach at UCSB. And this was decades ago, many decades ago. And apparently he was offered a position to coach football in the, in the NFL. But he turned it down because he had a wife and kids to look after. And he knew the divorce rates 
of pro football coaches, and he turned down the offer to coach pro football, despite how it would have changed his life. And so, uh, you know, totally understandable for where you're coming from, and it makes total sense. But leading leading into that, I have to ask you, since you have been around longer, and you have seen more around the world, like you like you just mentioned, you did see the Berlin Wall come tumbling down. What drives your work more than anything as a photographer? Um, I mean, the thing I always ask myself when I shoot is, why am I doing this? You know, a lot of times you take somebody out into a field and they're they're attractive, they're nice to look at, uh, they take a great picture, but at the end of the day you look at it and you're like, well, why are you even doing this? So the I just make sure that I can answer a why as to why I'm doing it. It could be telling a great story. It could be, um, you know, I could be shooting for a fashion line. I just want to make sure the clothes look good. It, it just depends on, on what I've been asked to do. But, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's what I'm about. And then something that always follows me, though, is, is, is music. Like, I've had a, a lot of these experiences with music, and I have – uh, I don't know if I, I have synesthesia maybe, I don't know, but like, I feel like, uh, sound and, and having a soundtrack to everything is important. Um, even though when people look at my stills, they can't hear music with it. Like music is around me when I'm, when I'm doing things, it just like guides me. And especially like when I'm editing, like I have a vibe I'm going for and I'm like, okay, what playlist is matching this vibe and what's going to help me get through this edit and get my final product the way I want it to look. That's okay. That's amazing. Then small follow-up question. Um, would you say that your edits would change based on the music you're listening to while you edit them? Do they happen to inspire a venturing out of the proverbial box? I mean, I would say they probably would change the outcome, but the whole reason why I'm, uh, you know, looking to get that playlist is because I'm trying to get to an outcome. So it's almost there to like motivate me and push me through it. I don't know. Like maybe it would turn out the same. It just wouldn't happen as fast. I don't know. I've never, I've never really like done a, a, an experiment on that, but uh, I, all I know is that in order to get from point A to point B, I have to have something uh, that I can listen to, to get me there. Yeah. I could imagine you adding motion blur to all your photos, listening to really hard drum and bass. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, the 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 subwoofer just uh, moves my hand, and the ibis doesn't work for some reason. Yeah, it's just pure coincidence. <laughs> so, in your photo shoots, when you when you arrive with the model and you're getting your gear set up, and you have a pre- you have that preliminary idea in your head of of what you're shooting, what the model's wearing, where you're shooting, time of day, all those things that a photographer kind of goes through their 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 ritualistic you know their mantras prior to the shoot. When you're in that moment, what are you, do you establish something that you're trying to achieve out of that shoot? Does it spawn in that moment during the shoot or is it more premeditated? Uh, I find a hybrid approach works. Like uh, I do mood boards. Uh, I sit there and I figure out the lighting. Like I have a shoot I'm doing here on Sunday um, and I've spent the better part of a week figuring out how the hell I want to light it because I can't decide. Everything else I figured out months ago. Um, you know, we figured out the props back in August. We figured out um, her outfit about a month ago. Um, I know I'm going to be using a picture frame, and I'm going to go to Hobby Lobby on on Sunday and buy a picture frame and return it on Monday because I don't need the picture frame for anything. But um, a lot of that's done up front. However, uh, you know, when you're shooting 
because because I like to work with models who hopefully are as talented as what they do as what I do, if not better. And so you're kind of having a conversation with that person. And one of the reasons why I use a lot of the same models is because I don't want to introduce myself to somebody and have to spend an entire shoot like introducing myself to somebody as a photographer. A lot of times I just want to go execute something. And if it's somebody I've worked with before, a lot of my nerves go away because I we already know where we have to pick up. We, we pick up where we left off the last time we worked together. It may not be the same conversation. We may change the subject, right? Or it is the same conversation, but we've changed the subject, right? So I already know where they are as a model, what they're good at, how they photograph, etc. But I also give them, I don't give them, we mutually give each other autonomy. And the model, I'll, I'll feed off of that. And sometimes I will have a uh, spontaneity hit me and go, hey, I have, I have this idea that just came up. And so it's it's a it's kind of a, a very uh, well controlled. Some of it's controlled, and some of it I just allow to happen. Uh, but I very rarely show up to a shoot with no plan uh, because I just you know I don't know I just I find that I have to have a little bit of control over the outcome or how much of it was really mine. You know I don't know it's just that's just the way I'm programmed. So I'm a little bit of a control freak, but not not too much to where it annoys people. Well, that's a good answer, and it spills right into our next question. I remember when we were having those said pints that one of the things that you showed me as, as we exchanged photographs and recent work is that you, in some of the photos where you would use your sharper lenses, your favorite sharper lenses, it was actually a disadvantage because it made some of the skin retouching, um, well, too sharp. It was It was very abrasive. And so I'd like to ask you, um, how important is gear when it comes to your photography? Because the, the usual assumption is that the better quality of the gear, the better quality of the photo. So, I mean, for me, if you gave me a Canon 5D Mark III, which came out in 2012, and you gave me a 30-year-old Canon lens, I'd make it work. So how good is the gear? Well, a lot of that, uh, you know, and that's, I, we're going to actually talk about that in, in an episode. It's going to, uh, my personal philosophy is I buy equipment for myself. I do not buy equipment for my clients, uh, because I just like really good gear. I'm a gearhead, uh, but do I need all that gear? The answer is absolutely no. Uh, it is the carpenter, not the tools, but the other, uh, rebuttal I will give to that is that the best carpenters typically have pretty good tools because they can appreciate the value of them. So I think there might be a balance there as well. I mean, if I, if I offer you the $3,000 lens or the $300 lens, you know, it, you'll probably take the $3,000 lens, but if you're a good enough photographer, you can make the $300 lens work. And so, you know, to me, I love gear. I'm a gearhead. My YouTube channel, a lot of what my YouTube channel is devoted to is talking about equipment. So I happen to use a lot of equipment, but uh, it, when I'm being honest with myself, a lot of times uh, when I look at a good photograph that I take that I, I judge to be good, a lot of it was the idea behind it, not the gear. The gear was just a tool to execute the job. But had I been given a different camera with the same focal length, I probably would have found a way to make it work. As long as I can figure out where the exposure triangle is and I can get the autofocus to focus where I want it to focus, I can probably get any camera to work if I'm being honest with myself. So that's with digital photography. Now, when it comes to film photography, you often shoot in tandem um, with digital on the same shoots. 
in fact, from what you from what you showed me in previous exchanges, uh, you oftentimes will shoot digital and film during the same shoot. And so, I'd like to ask if there is any any forethought on when you'd prefer to shoot film versus digital, or if even more specifically during the shoot you decide to use a film camera with a specific film stock as opposed to digital for a different shot. So this goes back to one of your last questions, which was uh, how much planning do I had how much planning do I do ahead of time? When it comes to film, I plan ahead of time because I, I have to take the film out of the fridge and let it get to room temperature. So I definitely have to figure out what film stock I'm going to use. Now, sometimes I'll have a 100 and a 400 on hand just in case I'm doing something outdoors and it's like super sunny, super bright. I'll go down to the 100. But if it's like cloudy, all of a sudden I might switch it instead to the 400 at the last second. So I'll, I'll typically show up with a couple different film stocks. Um, and then the, um, you know, the, the planning, to, to answer your question about the digital verse film, uh, I don't use a light meter. And so instead what I do is I take something like a Fuji X, uh, Fuji, my Fuji X-H2 or else my Canon R5 and I'll usually just put like a, a, a 35 or 50. Usually I'll try to match it up to what I'm shooting on. So if I'm shooting, um, let's say I'm shooting on my Mamiya RB67 and I'm shooting on their 90 millimeter, which if you take the crop factor into consideration is about a normal field of view. So if I take my uh, Fuji with me and I put, the full frame equivalent of a 50 millimeter on there, which I think is like 35, 33, somewhere in there with their crop factor. I'll go take a picture so I can see how it exposes. I put the ISO at the exact same ISO as my box speed, the whatever I'm shooting on, on digital, I'm sorry, on film. And then I take a practice shot and I look at it and I go, great. And then I'll, I'll sometimes I, I don't take the exact same shot. I, I'm really just getting the light. And then from there, I'm like, okay, let's be artistic and let's let's get into this moment because film's expensive. I make sure that I, I craft the shot uh, really well. But sometimes as much effort as I spend on that film shot, I'll go back and I'll look at my test shot and I'll prefer my test shot. And uh, going into 2022 last year, I had this, uh, I, I decided, you know what, I'm going to shoot digital and film and whatever the best shot is wins. And so I might have an editorial that's a mix of uh, both film and digital and they work together because uh, I, I often will mix up a monochrome with uh, color anyway. And so what does it matter if I'm using a black and white film stock along with color digital or vice versa? Or maybe I'll just go all digital. Maybe I didn't like the way the film shots turned out. But the other reason why I take the the digital shot is insurance. Uh, you know, I never only, I've only lost one roll of film, uh, medium format film ever, and it was just because I made a really stupid mistake and opened up the 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 drum for some reason. I, I just had a brain fart. I opened up the drum. I was like, "Oh, there's a Portra 400 roll in there." Well, that's gone. So, um, but. I, I do it just in case I lose the roll of film. I have something to give to the client or the model or whoever because uh, I don't want to waste their time. And like I said, sometimes I prefer the digital. So it's there as a fallback, and sometimes it's there to win out. Cool. All right. I've got one more question for you, Kevin. I don't speak Russian. <laughs> oh, I guess I'm out of questions then. <laughs> now, okay, what's something in 2023 as a photographer – We've got the whole year ahead of us. I know that if anyone's listening to this, that 2023 is it's, it's a big year. Um, talking to a lot of photographers, talking to a lot of artists, 2023 is a big year. What do you look to accomplish in 2023 as a photographer? 
Uh, mainly growing my business uh, as a photographer. I I spent a lot of 2022 exploring mainly equipment. Um, you know, figuring out what I wanted to do moving forward. I went through a big reevaluation. It's funny because a lot of people are like, wow, you must be loaded. You've been buying a lot of equipment this year. It's like, no, I'm figuring things out. And, you know, I, I think I'm, I think I'm getting there, but that, that, that's probably the biggest thing for me is, uh, growing my business. And so far the amount of jobs that I have coming my way in 2023 are leading me to believe that I'm definitely going in the right direction there. Um, you know, Austin is a tricky market. It's a commercial market. Uh, so I, I had to find a way to get paid to do what I want. And I don't necessarily want to do commercial. I don't want to shoot, um, you know, 20 year old models and boutiques for they're made for like 40 year old women, you know, like that's a thing in Austin. Yeah, that, it is. Yeah, it is. And that's not, that's not a thing I want to do. And so one of the ways I'm able to do that is through YouTube, my YouTube channel, monetizing my YouTube channel. I can go take a model out to some creative idea I have, take pictures, you know, with, you know, take that creative idea, bring it to life. And then I can talk about it on my YouTube channel. And then people go, wow, that person is enthusiastic about what they're talking about. And then the transfer of enthusiasm is, is, is infectious. It's what gets people to subscribe because they're like, wow, you're passionate about what you do. So I, I want to subscribe to that. But if you sit there and you're just like, yeah, so here's a model that took a picture of mine. And then you're just like, you're not happy about <laughs> it. Um, you're, not, you're not enthusiastic about it. They're going to they're gonna tune out and they're going to say that's boring. But being able to monetize uh situations where I can actually do the type of photography I want to do because editorial photography is like my main thing. And editorial photography is one of the lowest paying types of photography you can find out there. It's like, Oh, you want to make money uh, shooting editorials? Uh, good luck. Okay. Take it easy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, no, that's, that's great responses, dude. I, I'm, I'm glad we can open ourselves up to the audience and kind of portray put ourselves our best parts hopefully into the light and um as we go on that will that will continue as we continue to talk about photography absolutely and uh, this episode is probably uh the episode where we will talk about ourselves the most because it's about introducing ourselves to you but moving forward we are going to talk more about photography and one of the exciting things I want to talk about with the F11 podcast is we are regularly going to have guests who are going to come into both the studio and call in who are uh, players in the photography industry. It could be somebody like a street photographer. It could be a fine art photographer. It could be an art director. It could be a professional retoucher. And the great news is, is I've already lined a lot of these up. So we have some exciting things in store for you. Uh, and in next week's episode, we are going to touch up on a topic that I know impacts all of you greatly because all of you are on social media in one way or another. And so we're going to uh, title next week's episode, Chase Light, Not Algorithms. I'm also going to end every single podcast with that because it's something that I truly believe you should live by. But the whole point of it is to talk about how would your photography be different if social media didn't exist at all? Would you uh, take pictures differently? Would the reason why you take pictures evolve? And so we're going to tap into that. I think it's going to be a fantastic episode. What, what are your initial thoughts on that? You know, my initial thoughts um, on on the social media game is it is a necessary evil. Too many, too many times over the years I've asked myself, what if I just wasn't on Instagram? And then the immediate 
uh, rebuttals to that was just, okay, then my client stream falls. Then my, you know, one of my, my most advantageous portfolios falls, you know, my outreach falls, my networking falls, and it forces me to look for other avenues, which are just not as efficient. Exactly. And that's one of many things we're going to tackle on that. I have a lot of stuff planned for that. It's probably going to be a longer episode than today's episode because there's so much you could talk about with social media. So I, I hope you all tune into that. Um, I, I, I hope you all found today's episode to be uh, insightful. Hopefully you love our personalities because uh, moving forward, if you uh, subscribe to this podcast, you're going to have to deal with us. Uh, but we're both on uh, Instagram. We're both on YouTube. Uh, we both have websites, which we will put in the description of this podcast. You can find us on all the major podcast sites like Apple. You can find us on Spotify, iHeartRadio, and many others. So until next time, chase light, not algorithms. Thank you for listening to today's episode. For more information about this podcast, go to www.f11pod.com.